Good morning, all. Good morning. Great worship, amen? amen? Can we give that team a round of applause? They've been, they've been working very, very hard for Easter camp. And I just uh, re-emphasize everything Sandra said. If you haven't booked yourself off for Easter camp, please do. Um, I see this word, supernatural increase. I, I am so accustomed to having words from the Lord. That's what I've done with my life. But see this thing here. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of them. Um, and there's not many of them. So something's, it won't go. This is nearly, well, it's not two years. What is it? A year and three months, four months. And uh, God help us. God is determined to bless you. Amen. Sometimes it's, I'm the problem, right? Or you're the problem. And he's been very patient with us. I, I believe we didn't succeed probably last year with, with breaking through in this increased thing. Um, and so we're back and we're just going to keep on knocking this until we've got it, right? Amen. He wants to do something for you. I grew up in a family of nine children. Our parents were great. They were lovely. I was the youngest. My elder brothers and sisters were high achievers. My eldest sister went to Oxford. I didn't pass any exams. I, I failed every exam. I got two. This is serious. This is not hyperbole. I got two in a maths exam. Two. Two. Yeah. And my mother, I remember it to this day, she took me in, a, we had a big house, she took me in the living room and she had me sit down and she said, can you tell me how is it possible to get two? And I said, it wasn't easy. That's what I said, well, it wasn't easy. It wasn't very difficult. Even if you didn't try, you couldn't get two. I got two. So, yeah, two. No, no, two out of a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I just had, I was abysmal. So, but my point is, I had elder brothers and sisters who were going here, there, and everywhere. And as the youngest in the family, I told, shut up, shut up, shut up. I thought that was my name. Shut up, shut up, shut up. So do you know what I wanted? I wanted the recognition of my parents. I wanted to be seen. And as a young child, I wanted to be somebody. And I constantly felt like I was nobody. So in our house, I made a lot of noise as a child. Right? And that was me clambering for attention. But as I started to grow and the years went by, it was pretty early. It was probably 11 or 12. I realized that all the screaming and shouting wasn't working. And I changed my strategy. And instead, I became something of an introvert for a while, a happy introvert, I have to say. And eventually, do you know what? By, by, by force of circumstance, I found my self-worth within myself because it was the only solution. I can't compete with my brothers and sisters. It's not working. And I thank God for the mechanisms in my brain, even as a child. I said, do you know what? Stuff it. I'm not going to try and perform. I'm not going to try and be somebody I'm not. I'm just going to accept who I am. And I became happier and happier. And as I look back at it, 
um, it was a really good, productive childhood for me because I came out with not needing self-worth as such. That was my family. And then I got saved. I sorted it out in my family, and then I joined another family, this family, the church. And to my surprise, I hit the same problem. All of a sudden, now as a Christian, I'm the newest guy in the church. Did you hear so, uh, this guy got saved? And now all of a sudden, that same thing of self-worth rose up within me. Now in this family, I wanted attention. Now in this family, I wanted to be somebody. I wanted people to recognize me or whatever. And the same old things started to rise up. Now, thank God it didn't take as long because I've already been through this experience. I've done this once. So it, I, and, but it still took time. And it took me about five years before the need for recognition, the need for titles began to, to percolate through my system. And I fasted a lot. I fasted a lot. I isolated myself a lot to break that out of my spirit because I didn't like it. I knew it wouldn't. It, this is not the way to please my father. The truth of the matter is, folks, some, some of you, and maybe me to some degree, right? But I am conscious of it. You do your ministry for the applause of people. And I ask myself, I, I examine myself. In everything I do, Lord, would you show me why I do it? Why? Would you present the lights of the Holy Spirit? Show me me. It's okay, God. Just show me me. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And please, Jesus, give me the grace to do what I do for your glory and not for me. Okay? You've got, we've got to get to the place where our self-worth, we're not getting it from ministry. We're not getting it from the recognition of men or of people. As Edward said yesterday so well, do not put your trust in men. It is hollow. But it's like grass. You cut your grass one day, you've got to cut it again in a few weeks' time. And the pride within me, the need to be somebody, the need for recognition, glory, that is like grass. I cut it down last week, but you know what? That stuff grows. Those attitude grows, they, they grow within my spirit, and it's a very dangerous thing. We, we, we began a series, but, but three months ago, the making of a man, the making of a church, the making of a woman, the making of a family. And today I want to look at the making of my mark. And here we are, I, I did a funeral some years ago, about 20 years, a long time ago, I, but I'll never forget it because of all the funerals I've done, no one came to this. If I can remember, I don't think there was anyone there. It was myself, my wife, and the funeral guys. And I'd known this woman. I'd witnessed to her many times. She refused to receive salvation. But I did the funeral, you know, for her. It's not a way to go, is it? It certainly didn't make much of a mark in the world passing through. One life will soon be passed. And there you are. It's a sad thing to look at a coffin in a room and there's nobody there. Isn't it? And in, in, in some ways we realize God Almighty sent his son into the earth to die on a cross to take away my sin, a, a suffering and a sacrifice beyond my knowledge, beyond my understanding. The least I can do is make some mark for his glory. Amen? 
So by making a mark, I'm not making a mark for my fame, right? I'm not making a mark for my glory, but I've written it on your notes. My mark is my way of saying thank you. It is my offering to God and to humanity. Amen? Let's say that together. My mark is my way of saying thank you. It's my offering to God and to humanity. What mark then? What mark will you make? Many of the biblical characters, and this is surprising, if you do an in-depth study, it's very surprising. Many biblical characters are not known for the work of God over their lifetime. And when you hear accolades or or someone being recognized for something, they'll say, oh, this person served the Lord for, for 60 years. Ray Belfield just died. 60 years ministry, Ray. He died at 87. 60 years, went in as a youth and stayed in ministry all his life. And that was mentioned many times. But listen, folks, in the Bible, there's many people not like that. Do you know Amos, the prophet Amos, walks into Scripture, says a few words and disappears. And yet, the whole church knows his name. Everybody knows who he is. He did his part. He was a farmer, isolated, out on his own. And there were war crimes, serious war crimes going on by Israel and by the Gentiles. And no one was talking about it. And Amos risked his life by going into the city and saying what's happening here in these battles is is wrong. And God is against you. And that's it. He disappears. Just one little thing, one little appearance And I just wonder how we feel about small things rather than big things. How do you feel about your life being known for something small? Remember Nahum when he had leprosy and the prophet said, go and wash yourself, dip yourself in the river seven times. And he wouldn't do it. And the prophet came back and said, if God had said to you to do some great thing, you would have jumped at it. But because God said something seemingly insignificant, you didn't want to do it. And therein, in that very point, lies a sticking point, I believe, for many of us and for me. Am I still willing just to be anonymous like Amos, to to, to hold myself in reserve in the chance that maybe one day God might call my number, that God may come my way and say, I want to use you for something? Look at that scripture on your notes there. Cornelius, a classic example of this. A man who is anonymous and yet one day gets God's attention. One day at about three in the afternoon, um, uh, afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius scared at, uh, was very scared at him. What is it, Lord? He said, the angel of the Lord said, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up before God as a memorial. Look at that. So here's somebody who's, they're not famous. They're not known. In another version, it says he was a devout man praying every day where no one could see him. And what is the result? God Almighty has the Apostle Paul, who's blind, and wants to bring him into ministry. God's looking on the earth. And who does he choose to go and do that? An anonymous man who nobody knows, and he gives him a task. Amen? Am I willing to just hold myself in reserve? Look at Mary at Bethany. Remember this. We don't know. There's three Marys in the Bible. This one we don't know. 
But remember, she came and she poured oil on Jesus' feet. And then Jesus said in verse 13, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, this woman's action will be told. So there is a simple lady comes, makes a sacrifice. She does one small thing. Her life, perhaps, is about that one small thing. And yet, it's made such a mark on humanity, such a mark in history. Contrary to this, I've just put the seven sons of Sceva. They thought they'd made a mark, and they hadn't made a mark, right? They started to drive out demons, and the demons spoke back to them and said, Jesus we know, Jesus made a mark. Paul we know, Paul has made a mark, but who are you? All right? It's an interesting point, you see, because those individuals, those seven sons, felt that they had made a mark. And yet, in reality, they had not made a spiritual mark, right? There are those, you all know, people around the world who are famous for, for many things, and most particularly for one thing. If I say to you, Tiger Woods, what do you think about? Golf, Golf one thing. An individual who's made his mark in one way. Andy Murray. Tennis. Elvis Presley. <laughs> right? Somebody once said, I can't remember who it was, if you want to be successful in life, choose one thing and do it better than anybody else does it. Choose one thing. And I would say, you know, step back from seeking attention. Step back from seeking the accolades or praise of men and devote your life to this one thing, honoring and glorifying God in some way, even if that seems an insignificant thing. I had a pastor once, um, he, he was with me. I was thinking this morning, I say the truth in every way. I don't think there's any other minister, young pastor, that I've ever tried more diligently to bring full-time. I really wanted this guy to go full-time. So I tried this, I tried that, I tried that, and I couldn't get him full-time. And in the end, one of my members saw me. Many people said, just give up on him, you know. But one of my members came to me and said, Pastor Mike, you just don't get it, do you? I said, well, I try this, and he's doing this, and he's doing that. And he said, the, the member said to me, achievement addiction. He has achievement addiction. And it, you know when something just rings true, it just hits you? That's it. That's the problem with this guy. Not the, what was it, Jane Bond's movie? The world is not enough, right? He was constantly endlessly, insatiably seeking more and more and more of everything. It was, it was endless. And I couldn't get him to focus on just one thing. I couldn't, and I still, to this day, he's still pursuing that kind of lifestyle. That's a bad road, isn't it? And scripture clearly says that, you know, there's one body with many parts. Are all apostles? No. Are all pastors? No. Are all prophets? No. But my freedom comes when I find my part. When I find the one thing that God has called me to do. And then I can make my mark successfully in a way that will last. Some people make their mark in a bad way, like Hitler. Right? Herod. Herodias. If I say Pontius Pilate, what do you think of? The washing of... One thing sticks in your mind from that life, sad life for me. Judas. Politics. Judas was in the fold, as it were. He's a politician, a zealot. And he allowed his desire for political power to dominate his devotion to Christ. Amen. 
So I want to pause a moment this morning for such a time as this and think about my life in these closing decades or years of history, whatever we've got left. Lord, would you help me make a mark? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for my salvation. And would you help me do something for you and not for me? Amen. Look at these people on your notes. Number one, Cornelius, as we've just looked at, he made his mark through prayer. This is a praying church, that's for sure. You guys are fantastic, very sincere and sanctified. I love it. Answer this question in your own heart, privately. If you were giving someone advice about how to pray, right? What would you say to them? You're giving them advice about how to do There's two types of prayer, folks. There's ministry like we heard this morning. That's ministry to people, public prayer. No problem, that's fine. But there's private prayer. So if you're giving someone advice, you know, pastor, friend, discipler, mate, teach me how to pray. What would you say? Cornelius made his mark through prayer. When they asked Jesus that prayer, uh, that, that question, you know what Jesus said to them? They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Show us the way. Do you know what he said? Make sure nobody hears you. Ah, go into a room, close the door, and make sure it's secret. And when your father sees what's done in secret, that's what gets the attention of God, Cornelius. Nobody knew who he was, a devout man praying in private, yet called to release the Apostle Paul, who brings you 13 books of the New Testament. Amen. Right? Go into the room, close the door. And have your private time with God. That's how Cornelius made an eternal mark for God's glory. Secondly, David, you can make your mark through worship. We've got Psalms, right? David, more than anybody else in Scripture, just gave himself in the presence of God. I asked the worship team if they would sing this song this morning. King of Kings. You know that song? It's an interesting song because it was written by a man in Hull called Jared Cooper and I remember him many years ago when no one knew who he was he was totally anonymous he was a young pastor you know renting a building in the middle of Hull now they have their own building blah 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 but Jared Cooper not so much a pastor or evangelist he's a worshiper that's what he is just a complete dedicated worshiper that's where he gets lost in the presence when all the people are there he just goes in worship. That has been the story of his life. In fact, I want to bring him down for us here some Sunday. He works with Steve Upple quite a lot, and I go through Steve and bring him in for us. He's not far away. But if you look up, which I did this week on Google, if you put in Jared Cooper, you never guess what comes up. It says, Jared Cooper is a pastor in Hull, and it says this, famous for one song. (laughs) King of Kings. Famous for one thing. Yeah? Is that all right? Is that okay? So you've been worshiping for 35, 40 years. But he made his mark, right? He made his mark. Because all over the world they sing that song. And it's an excellent song. Just one thing. Janet, good work yesterday. Good work. Win was fantastic. Good day. As I was praying for you at the back there during your time, I, I could, this thought just came to my head, you know. When it comes to working with women, you will be overrun with people who want to do great things. Amen. Big things. But isn't it hard to get people to do something small? 
Nah. Just to do one thing. Just, just do this one thing. Going to take the women in London for Jesus. Well, let's just try this one thing. And if everybody who was here yesterday did one thing, what a difference that would make. Amen? Instead of waiting, maybe, you know, in vain for some great thing. We can start today. You, I can start today by doing one thing, even if it's small, even if it's insignificant, even if it's totally in private. And no one sees, but God sees. Cornelius made his mark through prayer in private. David made his mark through praise. And he talks about privacy many, many times. He calls it meditation when he was alone with God, the secret place. Amen? Amen. Esther made her mark through surrender, total and utter surrender. In the, in the kingdom, folks, and this is just a sad reality, but when everything is going your way, it's easy to come to church, isn't it? When everything is going your way, it's easy to praise God. But what about if you have to lay it down? Esther had a pretty good life, right? And here she is risking her life, risking decapitation. She's going to be killed if she gets this wrong. And it's a serious, it really is a very, very serious question for me to ask myself, am I willing to lay my life down? I've been asked that question once, and I said yes. They asked me to go to uh, Pakistan at the time when there were Christians were being killed, and eight out of 28 of the previous guys that sent had been killed. And I was with Ray Belfield, and they asked me to go, would you go in, as a missionary? And I realized, I'm, you know, you, you may not come back. I said, you know, send him. He's free. <laughs> so, but just that moment, you know, I thought about it. I remember saying, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And then Ray said, you're not allowed to go. I said, I'll go, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, a true story. He said, let them use their own people for this moment. We need you here. But it, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Am I willing, like Esther, for such a time as this? Am I ready to lay everything down? Your own life, your own wishes, that's what she had to do. But it ended up in the salvation of a nation. God wants to break through in the supernatural. Am I willing, ready for that? Remember when you got saved? Think of that night, that moment, remember it. Remember laying everything down, remember? Jesus, I give it, remember that connection? It's not supposed to go away, right? It's not supposed to drift. It's supposed to remain. And my God, would you reconnect us with this this Easter? That we lay all down like Esther did, willing for such a time as this, such a moment as this. I'm here, I'm available to do your will. Number four, making your mark through evangelism. Doing one small thing. I, 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 of all the things on this list, evangelism would be my choice. And it's, it's wonderful. Thank you, Mike, for the evangelism and for being the energy behind that a few weeks ago. I thank God for it. And I'm sure many people out there did see us. The one woman that I had a good conversation with already knew that we existed. And praise God for that witness. But I long for this in me. I, I, I miss it. I started my life as an evangelist with... Just a craving to see souls saved. Seema's probably our best example of someone who's just exuberant, isn't she, evangelistically? She's a real soul winner. And the lost are so, so clever. Lost people see right through you. Right through you. 
when I'm out on the street, or you're out on the street, when, when you've got that leaflet, friend, and you're holding it out, and they're walking up to you, I tell you, they've already decided everything. You're here because your pastor sent you. <laughs> they know. They know. They see straight through you. Right? They can read you so quick. And that's why I think Seema's exuberance is good, because they will know this is genuine. And I pray, as Lydia, after her encounter, went into the village, and everybody was saved, right? The whole village turns back to Christ. I pray that something in us would do that, would change that in us, Lord. Amen. 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 Remember Song of Songs when she couldn't find the, the groom? And she went out and they ended up, everybody was following her. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? But it doesn't start with a crusade. It doesn't start at Wembley Stadium. It starts with you and I being willing to do one thing. And well done for two weeks ago. Well done for the evangelism. What about this afternoon? <laughs> what about next week with your family? Just do one thing. Please forgive me for the example I'm about to share. I do not need you to think well of me. Does everybody get it? I'm trying to help you. I don't, need, I don't care what you think. I've been at it too long. I don't need your applause. I don't need none of it. Okay? I'm saying these things to help you. When I got saved, I was in a church. I will never forget it. It was my first three or four months. And the pastor, his great pastor, his name was Byron, and he said, I need a volunteer. It was an evening service, like a Bible study. It's about maybe 40 people. I said, I need someone to do a small task, something. You know, take this to that. Can someone help me? And it was the end of the meeting, and people putting their coats on, and they ignored him. <laughs> they just ignored him. Like I thought, that's not good. It wasn't a big task. It wasn't something that would get publicity or recognition. But at that moment, I tell you, a holy anger rose up in me. And I thought, this, I don't know the church. I've just arrived. But I looked at, this is not good. This is not good. And I went up to him and I said, do you know what you were asking? You need help? I'll, yeah, I'll do it. And I can't even remember what was it. Taking something somewhere. Just a small, insignificant thing. But I, as, you know, as I think back... Maybe that changed my life. Then I used to take my wages and I used to buy tracks, you know, because I had a speech impediment. You know my story. I can't speak, but I can't give tracks, right? So I started to take a fair portion of my wages to buy leaflets and go out in the street and then buy thousands. And then the person who produced the, pack, the, the tracks came to visit me and said, who are you? Like Cornelius. Praying all the time. Who, who is Cornelius? The guy who produced it, his name's Pete Hodge. He came to visit me. It's the first time I met him. Who are you? Ordering more than churches. I'm just an individual. And I can't speak, but I can do this. There's one thing I can do. There's one small thing I can do. And through that connection, they trained me in open-air campaigners. And then they opened a door for a different school every morning. For three years, I did school assemblies preaching the gospel. Funny how a little response to a small thing for which I get no attention leads to a tract, leads to an open door, leads to that. And then you know my story. In Glasgow, a lady came and paid for TV three times a week in 94 countries from one small thing. I don't criticize you if your ambition or your heart is to glorify God through great things. Praise the Lord. That's called a sanctified ambition. 
there's good ambition and bad ambition, right? And I hope you have a holy, sanctified ambition to make a mark on this planet. Amen. But I would encourage you, because maybe what's blocking you is failure to do the small thing. Reaching and praise God for it. Reach out in faith. But is God asking you today to do one small thing? And you don't recognize it. You don't recognize where that will take you. He knows how to grow you. He knows when you're ready for whatever opening is ahead. Number five, the widow was mentioned this morning, making your mark through persistence. I love this one. I absolutely love this one. You can achieve through persistence what you can't achieve through faith. Is the widow famous for faith? No, she didn't have any faith. And you can say, I've got this problem or that problem. No problem. If you don't have faith for it, you can have persistence for it. There's three ways that you can... uh, acquire the things of God. Three ways that the blessing of God comes through. Faith, fantastic. But it's not just faith, also persistence. You can achieve the same goals through persistence that you achieve through faith. Hello? But not just persistence, also obedience. Faith, persistence, and obedience. These are the three roles. If you will just obey In the church structure, if you will just stay on the bus, remain, you can achieve through obedience in the church what others more gifted, more spiritual than you have not achieved. Did you get that? Obedience is a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah? There are many who are gifted, but they're not faithful. There are many who are faithful, but they're not gifted. And yet they will achieve more. That is a truth. That is an absolute truth. Be faithful. If you find it's not working, get persistence. And at all times, be obedient. And if you work those three things, the world is your oyster because you will become a conduit for power. Amen? People made their mark in surprising ways. Cornelius through private prayer. David in praise. Esther by being willing to lay down her life. Lydia through an exuberant love for Jesus and evangelism. The widow through persistence. And Samson through faith. When you ask God, who, who, who were the greatest heroes of faith in history? Hebrews 11 is always a surprising list. But I don't think there's a person on the planet who would have put Samson on that list. <laughs> right? He just wouldn't be there. But God did. God did. And God did because Samson had faith in one thing. What was it? God's goodness to take him back. God's goodness, that even though he had been anointed in the past, and he had fallen and been anointed, and fallen and been anointed, and fallen and been anointed, that man had such faith that even after the shame he brought on the nation, who did he believe in? God. He believed that this God was so good, he will anoint me one more time. Amen? And you, no matter what your background, no matter what your history, Have the faith of Samson and come back. And keep coming back. You can say amen there, guys. Right? Don't give up on him. He hasn't given up on you. Number seven, Deborah, which is in connection with what we were doing yesterday. For those of you who don't know, this is Sister Janet here. She has a a ministry here, uh, Women's International Network, reaching out to women, particularly women perhaps who have been struck down. That's their theme. Struck down but not destroyed. 
and, and looking for restoration. I found yesterday very, very interesting. I've done a lot of work on relationships, as you know, and it looks to me like the world has come full circle. In the 1940s and 50s, women were particularly badly treated, and that gave rise to the 60s with the whole lib, you know, liberation movement and all that. But even today, it looks like it's come full circle, and now it's not so much women, more men. Now suddenly it's, it's in vogue to trash men um, with, with no comeback. And th things have kind of changed. We need to be careful. We don't trash anybody, amen. We don't trash men or women, but be careful of what's happening. There's a, there's a real void in male leadership in this part of the world. Theresa May is a woman. No problem. I'm just making a point. Angela Merkel is a... Nicola Sturgeon is a... Arlene Foster is a... Jeremy Corbyn. No, no, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> just joke, just joke, just joke. But that's not a criticism. God bless them and we pray for our leaders. I'm just making a point. There, there, there is a void. There is a void there. And we should be looking to fill that void. Uh, um, let me talk to the women here. Women, eyes forward. I loved yesterday. I really did. Janet invited a man, Pastor Edward, who we know very well. And it's my, this is my belief. This is I'm just speaking from my heart. I think if you guys obey what he said, you can take that ministry beyond limits. This is the heart of the problem. And maybe it takes a man to show it. Women feel more than men, don't they? They feel more. You've, you, you're created that way. That's fantastic, but it can also be a problem, right? It can also be a problem. Because see, when I get hurt, I'll slap the guy upside the head and that's the end of it. Yeah? Men can move on so fast. For me, I never hold anything. It doesn't bother me. It's not my nature. It's male nature, you know? But females, uh-oh, uh-oh. Female nature is so different. <laughs> Ten years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Female nature is so different. But you know where the problem is? Because hurts, life has hurts, and men can dispose of those so quick. But a woman is very difficult. And it can be like a nappy on a baby in Atanasio's group. There's babies everywhere. Nappies everywhere. When you, a baby's got a dirty nappy, you don't put another nappy on. Right? It's not pleasant changing a nappy. And if you change the nappy, the whole room's going to, oh, please. And if you deal with the issues inside you, they stink. And sometimes we don't want, sometimes the easy option is to put another nappy and then put another nappy. And the actual hurt within is never dealt with. And then these women can become problem. A life of problem and never knowing the root of the issue. I shared with the leader some time ago, I broke my arm in Armenia, I fell over a thing in the street and broke my arm. Listen to this. I went to the reception in the hotel I was staying in. And she said, no, no, I don't think it's broken. I think it's fine. Yeah. Because it was like this. I said, well, I, I actually think it's broken. So I had to get the plane because a different health system in Armenia. Um, I go to the hospital in Glasgow and the so-called expert says, no, it's not broken. I'm thinking, I'm fed up with this. My arm's broken. I know it's broken. I can't move it. You know, no, it's fine. This is a so-called professional telling me I'm fine. Many of you have been told you're fine. 
Do you know what you need? You need somebody to tell you, you're not fine. That's what you need. That's what Jesus did. That's why they killed him. You need someone to tell you, do you know what? You're not fine. And that broken arm, a very nice man, very, very, very nice man, came and shook my hand. He didn't mean any harm, but he just grabbed my hand and I squealed, yo! And he said, what did I do? I didn't mean to hurt you. I said, I'm sorry, my arm is broken. And eventually the hospital sent me, or they called me actually and said, your arm's broken, sorry. You need to come back in, thank you. <laughs> because the x-ray got to a true professional who actually saw that this little orbit in here was cracked. Your arm is broken and that's why you've got pain. I knew that all along. There's issues in me. You see, that man didn't mean to hurt me, but he hurt me. Why? Because I was already hurt. I was carrying hurt that didn't, it's a dirty nappy. I was carrying hurt that was never properly dealt with. And I say, women feel more than men. They've got more emotional beings. But if it's not dealt with, and that's what I liked about yesterday. If you can get deep in, get the nappies off, tell the tr- get someone to tell you the truth about the problems you're carrying and get completely restored, then you'll become powerful. Amen. Amen. Not just women, men equally the same, but not maybe equally because we handle things differently, but they have their own peculiar problems. Women have their problems. And I liked yesterday, but I encourage you to attend the six sessions for when in these coming months. And lastly, you can make your, your, make your mark on this life through giving. It's a very sad thing to me to see people despise the small things they have thinking little of it, but it's a very common thing. I had one chap in a church once. He, he, he was our biggest giver. He was a wealthy guy. His tithe was you know, a very high percentage of our total tithe. And he, someone had told him somewhere he was a worship leader. You know, Now, he wasn't a worship leader. He definitely wasn't a worship leader. <laughs> um, but he had been told he was a worship leader. And I was not appointing him to that position, you see. So he was mad at me. Pastor Mike hates me. Pastor Mike's going to no. Pastor Mike's going to tell you the truth. So he made an appointment to see me, and with great joy, he said, "I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Don't recognize me. I'm leaving." I said, "Listen, someone somewhere has to say the truth. And by the way, I don't want you to leave. And the, this is what I said to him: I can't afford for you to leave. I need you to stay because I need your money." That's what I said to him. That's exactly what I said to him. Do you know what he did? He took a deep breath and he burst out laughing. And he said, I can't believe you said that. I want to, I want to, I know what you want to. The fact is, this is not your area. And I don't know who told you that, but they haven't done you a favor. At this point, you know what your area is? Giving. But you despise it. You're despising your gift. And I'm telling you, by the time I'd finished with him, the following Sunday, that guy walked in. He felt like a king. I give. I'm a giver. And he had finally taken ownership of the, as he saw it, the small, insignificant thing. No one knew about it kind of thing. You just wanted attention, friend. And someone needed to bring you out of that. Amen. Amen. Another guy, same problem, wanted to be a worship leader as well. I, I, I didn't win him. I lost him. He left the church completely. Uh, his gift was helps, fixing our church, but didn't want it. Give me your attention. One moment, I'm finished. 
if you will accept the small thing, maybe it's being a carpenter and cutting wood when nobody knows who you are, being obedient with your father and mother at home that leads to a cross. You will follow this road whether you like it or not. And ministry, true, eternally you know, consequential ministry begins when I accept whatever it is. Be that Pastor Byron, I'll do that. And you'll begin to make room in your life for additional giftings, additional things, supernatural increase. Last week, Juliet asked us for volunteers, for example, for Easter camp, for children's church on Easter camp. Just a small thing. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give your time in one of those sessions. You're going to have to be selfless, not selfish. Is there anybody who's willing even to do that? My advice to you, and please hear me on this, because I felt really strong about this this morning. Would you, if you, see if you're going to give something financial, do it today. Make the commitment in your mind and do it for such a time as this. See, see when you start saying tomorrow, 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 does tomorrow come? No. So when are we going to get past this? When are you going to stop this? So if you're going to give, if that's what's in your heart, Paul says, whoever has made a decision to give, let him do it willingly. And I would say to you, do it today. Take one second. Make your commitment. Everybody, are we together? And give that gift in Jesus' name. If it's service, let me use Easter camp as a classic example. Sandra needs help. Your honey needs help. And the children's church here on Sunday needs help. Don't put your hand up. Will you make that commitment? Just a small thing. Nobody's going to see you. You're not going to get any applause. Will you do that? I repeat, I felt so strong on this now this morning. Ooh, I, you know, ooh, frightened me. I think God, almost the frustration of God. I'm asking you one more time. Will you serve for no benefit? Will you serve for no fame? Will you serve for no recognition? And the last thing I want to say is this. Michael, I'm Michael, my brother, all right? If I can't love you, who I can see, do I love the God I can't see? Bible says, if I can't love the man that I see, then I do not love the God that I cannot see. My last appeal to you for something small is to say sorry. Is there someone you have hurt? And it's just a small thing. For you to go back and say sorry, you're going to look small, Right? You're going to look really, really small. But until you get past that sorry thing, you're going to get stuck. And it's not worth it. Maybe somebody's hurt you and you need to forgive them, right? Very serious point. The Bible says, if I do not forgive my brother and sister from my heart, my sins are not forgiven. Small thing. 
perhaps, but not so small. Do you need to say sorry to someone? Then say sorry. If you need to make peace, make peace. If you need to give, give. If you need to pray, pray. If you need to worship, worship. Whatever you see in these people, and this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. Do not despise the day of small things. Father, I pray for your prophetic word to come into every heart here. And whatever actions you want us to take, would you give us the the grace from God to take those steps in praise, in worship, in giving, in prayer, in going, in evangelism, in saying sorry, in reconciliation. We are brothers and sisters in God's family. And I pray you would be pleased with us this morning. We are pleased with you. We love you. I pray that you will be pleased with us. Ask Richard to prepare himself to pray for us in closing. And if the worship team could take your place. If we could sing King of Kings as we close the one song for which Jared Cooper is known. If you stand to your feet, I'll I'll give you a moment or two to make your own personal commitments, make your own peace with God. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Jesus. Church, this afternoon I, I stand here with humility because at times we get lost in plenty. But this morning or this afternoon, God is reminding us what are we going to make our mark on. Before I pray, I just I want to echo the words of pastor this morning, this afternoon. That what are you going to make your mark on? When it's all said and done. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. What are we known for in this faith? Father, I lift up my hands to you this afternoon. My prayer is that you will give me the strength to accept what you have deposited in me. To do that which you have called me to do. That at the end, your name will be glorified. I pray God that even as a church and as a family, you will grant us what it takes to be different. What it takes to step out when we are called. What it takes, God, to make our mark. That your name will be glorified. We live in a world, Lord, where we get drifted from left, right, and center. And many a times, God, we lose sight of what you have deposited in us. With my hands lifted up today, I say, God, help us to look beyond what is happening. That we will make a mark that will bring glory to your name. That like Esther, God, we will choose to lay our life down. Sacrifice that your name will be glorified. Father, at times, expectations of men places us in situations where we want, to, we want the applause of men. We want to do that which people will say, well done. But we pray today, this afternoon, God, that you will grant us the tenacity to do what is required, even when we don't even get an applause, that your name will be glorified. 
This week we pray, God, that you will be with us. Let the strength of God be upon our lives. Let the wisdom of God saturate us in whatever we do. In this year of supernatural increase, we pray, God, that you will send destiny helpers our way. People that will help us to leave our mark and bring glory to your name. We honor you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.